like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Future of Health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. Really excited to be back with you today. And we're going to be talking with um, Dr. Chris Bailey in just a couple minutes about whether or not it's safe to travel during COVID-19. So really excited to have him here on the show. Before we get started, as always, um, my name is Lori Kelly. I work in philanthropy at Providence. And we always have this disclaimer that this video is for informational purposes only. And it's not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always please seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. So with that, Chris, welcome. It's great to have you Thank on you. the show today. Yeah. Thank you, Lauren. So you, you are an infectious disease specialist and you are based down in our Orange County area at Mission Hospital in St. Joseph. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about your background and, and um, tell, tell us about infectious disease and, and, and what you're working on right now and even how you got into that field. Sure. Well, uh, infectious disease uh, was always uh, very appealing to me throughout my training. It was an area that uh, always seemed to be uh, having a mystery to solve. It involved all parts of the body, all systems. So I wouldn't be uh, uh, pigeonholed into just one uh, small area. And mm -hmm. uh, during my training in the early uh, and mid uh, or late uh, mid 70s, uh, later 70s, early 80s, uh, there seemed to be a new disease coming around about every year with uh, Lyme disease, toxic shock uh, syndrome, obviously mm. uh, AIDS. Uh, so it seemed like an area that would be uh, uh, kept fairly fresh and challenging for an extended period of time. So that's how I gravitated into it. Yeah, and, you're, you're uh, certainly not bored now, right? I'm <laughs> no, no not, not now. So this is not, uh, it's, uh, it's a different uh, name, but it's a sort of a familiar scenario in terms of uh, pandemics. Uh, uh, even uh, uh, though they've been relatively infrequent, it's something that we discuss and plan for, you know, year by year and have for, for decades. So that's what we're unrolling and have uh, during this uh, outbreak, but obviously we're still learning new things and refining uh, whatever the original plan had been. And right. that's been, uh, uh, obviously keeping us all busy. And, and at Providence, we're over a seven-state area. I'm I'm up in the Northwest. You're down in Southern California. Yeah. What's what's going on down in Southern Cal right now? What, what is, what's the well, temperature? Well, we like? we seem to be getting over our our surge. As you point out, it's a broad geographic area, and as people have seen just by watching the news, it seems to hit certain areas at certain times. Uh, Providence uh, in the Greater Seattle area actually had the first documented case. Yeah in the US and that area was uh, had their surge early on. Well, we here in Orange County and even LA County were relatively slow. Then 
uh, the greater Seattle Northwest area uh, in general began to improve and Southern California heated up. And our peak, we hope will in retrospect still be able to call it our peak, uh, seems to have happened a week or two ago. We're now trending downward. Hopefully that can continue. So that's just been what we've observed nationwide. It's not surprising. Uh, a virus uh, enters a, a community where there hasn't been much activity. It finds a mm -hmm. lot of susceptible uh, individuals and uh, can uh, really get quite a foothold. And that's why we are uh, certainly uh, happy to have all the emphasis on social distancing and masking because that can decrease the, the spread. Um, and uh, it seems to have been uh, what we've observed here. Yeah, and and I'm, today we're going to talk about our topic, which is about traveling. But you know, I've always I've just been curious why it took so long to get from Seattle to California for the for the peaks. Is that because of travel or people um, starting to leave where they were coming from? What, what do you What's your sense? Uh, I think it's a variety of situations. I think when it first uh, happened, people were uh, understandably uh, reluctant to travel far from home and they mm -hmm. sheltered in place, which is, uh, I think, helpful in terms of containing the spread. Uh, I think uh, there have been uh, situations, at least here in Southern California, the, the uh, recent uh, surge happened as we were opening up the, the economy and people were getting out more and uh, uh, gathering uh, with uh, people other than those that were in their immediate households. So I think that allowed for spread among individuals. Uh, I don't think that can be prevented entirely. And uh, mm -hmm. in some ways you need spread within a community to get uh, the herd immunity uh, protection, uh, again, absent a vaccine that's available. So when we read about uh, the number of cases uh, growing uh, day by day, as long as that's not translating into uh, a, a commensurate uh, increase in the number of hospitalizations, most of those represent mild disease, uh, people who are asymptomatic and being tested just because they think they've been exposed or right. they're concerned. And that's that's good. That's increasing our, our uh, pool of exposed individuals, uh, people who will, in most cases, go on to develop natural immunity uh, to some extent. Uh, that's yet to be defined. But if we look right. at other viral infections, or there is the expectation at least that there'll be some immunity associated with exposure or clinical disease. Yeah, so, so let's talk about it. It's, here it is August, people are uh, have been cooped up at home, they're ready to go on a trip somewhere. We we were talking, I was asking right before the interview whether or not you've traveled and you're, you're planning a trip. So how safe is it right now to get on an airplane? Well, I, I think it's safer than it was two or three months ago for a variety of reasons. Obviously, um, in many portions of the country, uh, we've reached our peak and are coming back down from it. Uh, so there's less, just statistically, a lesser chance that you'll encounter somebody with it in a given community uh, mm -hmm. outside of your own uh, neighborhood. I think uh, uh, airlines and other public transportation uh, entities have certainly uh, put in place a large number of risk-lowering uh, strategies, uh, uh, not filling uh, planes, not filling every seat, maybe boarding you know, from the back so people aren't uh, brushing past each other, those that are already seated. Uh, I would uh, be quite confident there's uh, social distancing going on within the mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, waiting areas and the ticketing counters and so forth. So I think all of that lowers your your risk, but it does uh, remind us that traveling is a fairly complex uh, undertaking. It's not just you sitting in your seat on the plane or the bus or the train. It's everything that goes that goes into getting there in the first place uh, safely. And I think that circles back around to the best um, protection you can have is your social responsibility, your awareness of what potential risks there may be. And I think we're well aware from various messaging that's gone out from the CDC and state and local officials that social distancing, wearing a mask, hand hygiene, uh, not touching your face, all of these are things you can do to uh, minimize the risk. And if you're able to do that, if you take that responsibility and if the, the carrier has provided the means for you to accomplish that with uh, not putting somebody right in the seat next to you, providing uh, hand hygiene supplies and so forth, uh, then I think you should, should be able to travel uh, safely. And, and what about um, head coverings? I've seen some people that are actually, they've got hats on or they've got a, you know, um, kind of a stocking over their head and, yeah. and also talking about um, not checking your bag, but actually keeping your bag with you. Um, what, do, what do you think about those kinds of things? Well, I, I think I can understand why those are uh, considered. I think if you were especially uh, vulnerable, uh, immunocompromised, but had to travel, I think the first choice would be to delay travel if that was the situation. But mm-hmm. I think that's maybe something to consider in those situations. But really, you just need to be aware that you know anything that's been out of your possession, you should assume is potentially contaminated and handle it accordingly. You know, wipe off the outside of your your bag or especially the handle before you yourself open it. Once you handle your baggage, uh, get into your your uh, rental car or your your taxi cab, you know, do hand hygiene. Either carry that with you, or I would imagine in many cases those will be available uh, at the cab stand or at the rental rental office. So just frequent hand hygiene. I think people focus on the airborne or the droplet transmission by the use of masks and social distancing. I think uh, contact, touching something that someone else has touched with a contaminated uh, hand and then touching your face or rubbing your eye without washing your hand first, I think that's equally, if not more likely, uh, a means for you to contract uh, COVID. So I think these are all things you can do. And uh, with with uh, diligence, you can lower your risk to almost the same as uh, staying at home. Oh, that's great to, great to hear. Yeah. So also, let's talk a little bit about driving by car. So if people are going to take long road trips, they're going to have to maybe stay in a hotel. They might have to, you know, they're going to go to the restroom at the, um, when they're gassing up and things like that. So tell us a little bit about, I mean, probably the same thing, but are there any other um, considerations that you'd have when you're kind of traveling by car? Yeah, I think obviously uh, that uh, decreases or eliminates the risk of getting into an airplane cabin with other people and handling, having others handle your baggage. Um, It, uh, likely prolongs your travel time, which you need to take that into consideration. But yes, uh, you know, visiting the restroom anywhere at a, at a truck stop, at a restaurant, you need to use your normal um, uh, hand hygiene uh, practices, but uh, just make sure you're you're aware uh, not only to wash your hands, but uh, to uh, you know, wipe off uh, the door handle or, or use a towel to use the door handle to get out. Um, remember, this gets 
into your body, either by breathing in uh, droplets or by touching something and then touching a, a mucous membrane. It's not going to get in through intact skin. So mm. okay. you, know, you don't have to, you know, scrub down before you touch things. It's, it's after you do that uh, you need to be uh, very diligent about washing before you touch uh, your mucous membranes or, you know, another member of the family. Because I think within families, people are not going to be as uh, likely to wash their hands after they've had contact with family members. So it comes down to the individual responsibility of family members to keep themselves germ-free. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of family members, so people, uh, August is a traditionally a family reunion time and, and people are starting to get together a little bit more in the outdoors, camping maybe um, with friends or close close friends or family, what are the what are the things that we need to be looking out for um, when we do get together with people that we know and trust, but we don't, we're not in their bubble, right? So we're not sure right. who they've been in contact with. So what are your recommendations like for, you know, communal eating and things like that? Yeah, as, as you point out, uh, if they're not within your usual household, even no matter yeah. how well you know them or how closely they're related to you, they're a stranger from a microbiologic uh, perspective. <laughs> so you need to be you know, you need to be cautious. Uh, you don't want to have um, you know, multiple people uh, preparing the food. Uh, those who are preparing the food need to be especially uh, cautious to do good hand hygiene before they they uh, touch things and handle things. You might want to have uh, uh, those people who have prepared the food perhaps uh, dole it out into individual uh, portions rather than having a, a buffet line where uh, multiple people are touching the, the utensils to uh, put food on, on their plate. Um, this uh, virus is like any other. It's not uh, especially hardy. It's not going to stand up to warm water or soap in terms of washing dishes, utensils, glasses. So you don't have to do anything beyond that uh, in terms of eating supplies. And I think uh, you might want to consider sort of uh, grouping people around the dinner table by uh, families, uh, people who have, you know, lived together can, you know, stay close to each other. Others can be somewhat uh, distant, but within uh, uh, earshot. Uh, it's obviously impractical to wear a mask throughout a meal, but uh, after dinner, before dinner, when you're just uh, sitting around, especially if you're not able to, or uh, situation is such that you can't maintain the usual six-foot social distance, then uh, please be sure to wear a mask in those scenarios. Yeah, good. Yeah, um, I think I think so many people are really wanting to get out and just even just go out to dinner. And so I always wonder too, what's your what's your feeling on on that for you know the the servers in the restaurants and that kind of thing. Well, from what I've observed, uh, the few times I've gone out uh, during this uh, uh, situation, the restaurants are very good about uh, their employees. Their servers are masked. They uh, have uh, separation between the tables. Uh, to maintain social distancing. They, the expectation is that you'll wear your mask uh, to and from the table, or if you get up to use the restroom, you'll put it back on while you're eating. Uh, you're you know, fine not to use it, obviously. And I think that's uh, generally gone well. Obviously, there have been instances where uh, spread uh, perhaps has occurred as a result of eating out, uh, and uh, restaurants are well aware of that. They, they really have a stake in maintaining uh, low levels of transmission so that they can remain uh, open. Um, obviously, we have uh, suspicion when something happens, when someone comes down with something, but really there's no, no way to tell for sure 
if they got it at restaurant A or bar B or just uh, by visiting with uh, 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 relatives who weren't within their their usual household. And obviously, I'm sure all the, the people uh, listening are well aware uh, there can be transmission before symptoms develop. So that's really why the masking comes in. You can't wait until someone's symptomatic to uh, uh, start distancing yourself from them. But uh, as a corollary to that, if you are symptomatic, please take it on yourself to distance yourself from others. Don't, uh, don't go out even with a mask because uh, if you're symptomatic, uh, especially if it turns out to be COVID, you don't want to uh, rely just on the mask. That's a, uh, a protection in the event or, or for the possibility of asymptomatic spread, but not to uh, uh, take the place of uh, uh, quarantining at home if you're actually symptomatic. Right, right. We have a question from um, uh, the from LinkedIn here, and um, the question is: What's the likelihood that infectious diseases, antibiotic-resistant microorganisms, and airborne respiratory viruses will be a recurring problem for the rec foreseeable future? They want to know: Is this just the start? Yeah. Well, from a job security perspective, I hope <laughs> it it has been in terms of uh, multi-resistant bacteria, and that's driven by uh, antibiotic uh, use. That's where antibiotic stewardship tries to get at uh, more judicious use of antibiotics to kill the bacteria, but not uh, flood the patient with uh, a drug beyond what uh, is necessary and perhaps uh, trigger some more resistance to develop. Uh, as far as the respiratory viruses are concerned, uh, COVID uh, is uh, the third uh, coronavirus that's had uh, epidemic or pandemic uh, uh, outbreak associated with it. The first was SARS uh, right. back in the early 2000s, and then Middle, Middle East Respiratory Virus or Respiratory Syndrome, or MERS, MERS uh, about yeah. eight or 10 years later. And now here we are with the COVID. Now, neither of those went uh, truly pandemic. Uh, the SARS did spread to a number of countries, but not worldwide. Uh, the MERS was more uh, limited. Neither of those established a recurring uh, annual uh, uh, cycle like influenza mm -hmm. has. So the, the hope is that may be the case with the SARS, the COVID-19, but we're not certain, obviously, as yet. Uh, influenza, why didn't they spread more? Why didn't they go pandemic? Uh, well, that's a very good question. I think in part because they're, they're the coronaviruses are not like influenza, where the the virus itself changes little, little by little each year. And mm -hmm. so uh, can affect or infect people who may have been exposed to a prior year's uh, version, um, let alone uh, the, the existence of the vaccine. Um, that I, I hope is going to be proven with uh, the COVID, but we haven't, uh, we haven't seen that yet. You could make a case that because it's so widespread, um, there'll be too many little pockets that can potentially um, Harbor it, uh, mm -hmm. spread, harbor spread locally for a period of time, and then it can burst out and uh, be spread more widely. Whereas the original SARS was limited geographically to just a relatively few areas, but it's it's hard to say. I think the existence of a vaccine will certainly uh, be welcome. Uh, whether this uh, is one that burns out on its own, and we're not relying on vaccine year after year into the future, uh, just remains to be seen. And 
I mean, you're not a fortune teller, but what what's your prediction for when we would even know if that was the case? Another year? Uh, I think another year because I think mm -hmm. it's still popping up here and there. As I said, Orange County, Southern California seems to be trending downwards. Other areas are trending upward. But I think mm -hmm. uh, probably within the next you know three months, three to six months, hopefully we can see most areas around the world trending lower and we will have gotten through or at least into the flu season and see what impact that may have. So I think really by next spring, we, we, we may know how well we've done with this outbreak, because uh, I think we're still in the first outbreak. I, I don't know that we can say yeah. there's been a second wave or a third wave. I think it's just the first rolling outbreak. Uh, and uh, we saw it you know, manifest in the, uh, the winter, early spring, uh, this time, uh, I think if we get into early to mid-spring next time, we'll have a, a better gauge as to what uh, may be in store for us. So hopefully we'll have a vaccine as uh, an option, uh, but I think it'll be at least that three to six months before we'll have any inkling as to whether this is going to be a, a chronic issue or a, a, a recurring uh, problem like the flu or uh, comes and goes and isn't heard from again for five to 10 years like the previous uh, coronavirus uh, strain. Right. Yeah, that would not be wonderful. And I know I know we've got all our data analytics people, uh, Dr. Ari Robachek and his team just working on, you know, looking at all the data across the system. So we've got, you know, we're caring for millions and millions of patients and have all these medical offices as well as the hospital. So we're able to kind of detect some of the things that are happening a little bit earlier, which is very exciting. So if somebody yeah. is traveling. That was, that was helpful to us in Southern California. Yeah. We saw that the, the, uh, uh, clinic visits were were ramping up a week or two before we we had our surge our influx of uh, inpatients and yeah. uh, the same thing with the downward trend that was that was also uh, predicted by the model so that's been very helpful for us yeah really helpful just amazing um, all the the team and how hard they're working to kind of try to predict the future whether it's a, a month out or a couple of weeks out but really helpful in how we're caring yes. for our patients and yes. so we have another question here um if somebody if you if if I have someone visiting, this is what the person's asking, who's been on a plane, what should I do when they arrive at my home? Should we social distance? What should the person that travels do to reduce spreading anything when they come to the home? Yeah, I, I think this is sort of the other side of the travel coin. It's not just yeah. getting there. It's when you get there, what are you going to do? And I think um, both as a traveler or as the host, uh, you need to, to be aware that this is somebody who's been exposed to different a different environment and may well, you know, be, be harboring uh, something. So I think social distancing has to be maintained as you would hosting uh, people from, you know, down the street that don't usually uh, inhabit your household. There is that risk and that needs to be taken into consideration when you're planning, should I go or not? Um, you know, just getting there isn't, isn't the finish line. You've still got to maintain uh, these uh, social distancing and risk mitigation uh, strategies and to the extent that may detract from your visit or make the visit not worthwhile, uh, you, you need to make that determination before you get there and figure out that it's not going to be the same as it was last Thanksgiving or 
Exactly. Yeah. And you need to be aware of what different states are doing. My, my trip I'm planning is within my state. So I don't mm -hmm. really have that as a concern, but some states have put restrictions on travelers arriving from other states. Certainly if you're traveling, traveling to a foreign country, be aware of what may be in store for you when you arrive, as well as when you attempt to return back to the U.S. There may be quarantine uh, requirements in place where you're, you know, all of your trip is going to be taken up in quarantine before right, you yeah. start your visit. So this is, uh, I think, a crucial aspect of travel planning. Yes, because even going to Hawaii, you have to quarantine for 14 days when you get there, correct? I think that's what I've heard. I, yeah. I, I know that was the case at one point. Yeah. It's constantly changing. It so changed. Yeah. Be, you know, take it into account when you plan and make sure you get updated information before you actually go. And so let's say somebody came and visited you. Um, for example, my sister-in-law just arrived yesterday from Florida. She's not staying with me, but I, I look forward to visiting with her. And so if she were to get a COVID test here, she still could test negative, but ha could have contracted it on the plane. Isn't that correct? Or how, how would that work? How would a COVID yeah. test? Yeah, the, COVID test the COVID test we have measures um, uh, RNA. It doesn't test for viable virus. So it's not like a culture. So uh, and it takes some days to manifest after you've been infected with the COVID. I think the peak uh, incidence of getting a positive test is probably five, six, seven days into the illness. Uh, and you can be asymptomatic for 14 days after you've uh, come in contact with it. So a just a single negative test doesn't say that person is not uh, harboring the COVID. It does perhaps indicate that they may not be far enough in the illness to be contagious, but that's not necessarily the case on an individual uh, basis. So if they test negative when they get here or just before they left, they could be uh, contagious, but not yet symptomatic at some point during that visit, especially if it goes beyond, you know, a seven to 10 day uh, period of time. So again, uh, yeah, I think it all comes back to social distancing, yeah. uh, hand hygiene, make sure, you know, surfaces that you may have touched in common are are wiped down after, say, a meal preparation or sitting at the, the table together. Um, it's not... Uh, it's not the easiest or the the, the best uh, visit, but uh, unfortunately, I think that's what needs to be done to protect yourself and your family. And it goes both ways. Is the visitor doesn't want to get because uh, uh, doesn't want to be exposed to something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they want right. And and if you are visiting or you're you're traveling and you feel like oh boy, I think I'm coming down with something. Your doctor's not there. Um, you know, you're in a, a different city. What do you recommend someone do at that point? Well, I think you should harbor or excuse me, you should shelter in place in, in your room, first of all, uh, curtail your, your, uh, your excursions, uh, contact local uh, uh, urgent care or hospital you know, via phone and uh, uh, just see what, uh, what is recommended. For the most part, you know, the vast majority of patients who get infected with COVID have mild disease. They do not need to be in the hospital. They don't need to visit the ER unless they're having symptoms that uh, might indicate a need for hospitalization, uh, shortness of breath, um, fatigue, um, you know, high fevers. Um, uh, those, if you went to the ER, they would evaluate you and recommend that you shelter in place at home. Uh, getting a COVID test, if it's an option, uh, might be something to consider because that will help you decide uh, 
uh, how to proceed. But uh, I think the assumption, unless you can come up with another diagnosis, if you suffer from allergies, and in retrospect, after a few days, this was just about of, of your usual allergies, yeah. I think the assumption that it's likely COVID uh, should be uh, should be the prime one. Great. Well, so much great information. Dr. Chris Bailey, um, an infectious disease specialist from Providence down in Orange County. We really thank you today. Do you have any final words for the gang? I hope you have a great trip yourself. Thank you. I, uh, I intend to, and uh, I'll just make the best of it uh, within the parameters of uh, COVID risk uh, mitigation. Um, I'm relying on the, the airline to provide some of that, but ultimate responsibility will rest with me. Great. I think that's great for his final word today. And I want to thank everybody for joining us. I hope you found this very informative. Um, we love uh, having these questions come to us. And so um, just want to uh, thank you so much again, Dr. Bailey, for joining us today and to everyone listening and sending us in your questions. If you are looking for medical advice, please visit us on the web at providence.org and make sure to follow us on social media at Providence at Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thanks, everybody. Have a fabulous day, and stay safe. Wash those hands.